This podcast is normally a series of reflections based on Scripture about how to live a gospel life. But today I'm going to deviate from my normal type of podcasts because our culture is in the grips of a matter of major importance that touches upon the liberty of the human conscience. This situation will affect most of us. I'm referring to the matter of the COVID vaccine mandates. I feel the need to speak about this topic, to speak my mind. This podcast is entitled A Conscientious Objection, Why I Oppose the COVID Vaccine Mandates. It addresses why I think it is important to allow for conscientious objection on this matter. But who am I, and why does my opinion matter? I am an American citizen who has reached a decision about the COVID vaccine mandates according to my conscience by reading, observing, and reflecting on what is happening in our culture. For those who wish to know my background, I have a joint BA in English Literature and Pre-Medical Studies from Harvard College. I attended and left Harvard Medical School in the 90s in order to immerse myself for three years in the wisdom of monastic culture. I wrote a book about this experience called The Gospel Life. I have a master's degree in philosophy from the Catholic University of America. I'm married with four children. Everyone in my family has had COVID and recovered without hospitalization. I have founded and run three businesses, and I currently work as a writer and marketing strategist at the third of these businesses. My resume can be found on my LinkedIn page, which is linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Neil2, spelled N-E-A-L-T-E-W. And so I begin. Why I oppose the COVID vaccine mandates. I am a small business owner and a writer. As a result, to date, I have had the freedom of exercising my own individual conscience with respect to the vaccines for COVID-19. But my son plays a sport that now requires the vaccination of all spectators. Next week is the first tournament where this policy will force me, his parent, to bow to the mandatory demands our culture attaches to these vaccines, or not to bow. I choose not to bow. This means for me, by tournament policy of the regulatory body of my son's sport, I will not be able to sit courtside when he competes in his final two national junior squash tournaments. But that is not the greatest of my concerns. I am more concerned about the extension of these vaccine mandates to our culture at large. So I have decided to state here the reasons for my opposition to vaccine mandates. Note, I am stating my opposition to the mandates. I make no statements for or against the vaccines. They have value when their risk-benefit profile makes sense for a given individual, but the vaccines are not a one-size-fits-all solution in the fight against COVID. I am a citizen, a husband, a father, and a small business owner. I'm not an expert on vaccines, but I've reached my position through observation and reflection, and all of us, whether we work in companies large or small, can and should be permitted to do so. The following remarks express what I have observed and the conclusions I have reached. There are 24 points I wish to make and seven conclusions I draw, each briefly stated. This is not an exhaustive list. I am not an expert. These are observations I have made, conclusions I have drawn from my own study. Number one, I have had COVID, as has my wife and four children. My knowledge of the research tells me that 
Once contracted, a person's natural immunity going forward is stronger than the immunity imparted by any of the vaccines. Going forward, I will rely on natural immunity to stave off the potential threat of contracting COVID-19 in the future. Number two, to begin, my personal analysis over the past 12 months convinces me that the COVID-19 virus was developed in a lab in Wuhan. This is an important point. It had U.S. and Chinese governmental involvement. One might further assume from other data points that there was also some level of pharmaceutical company involvement. The best, number three, the best discussion of the laboratory origins of COVID-19 can be found in Nicholas Wade's excellent analysis. Wade has served as staff writer and editor for Nature Magazine, Science Magazine, and the Science Section of the New York Times. He is an objective and authoritative voice. His article is must-reading for any person who wishes to first understand the origins of this virus as best we can. Governmental cover-ups, both Chinese and U.S., make this task more difficult than it needs to be, but the key data is there for those who care to go through it. You can find this article at thebulletin.org. The title is The Origin of COVID. Did People or Nature Open Pandora's Box at Wuhan? Point number four. From the reasoned observation that the virus was developed in a lab, it follows that there is some reason the parties involved did so. I cannot guess at this reason, though I feel justified in being on my guard about it. Point five. It seems to me that It seems to me evident that the use of globally mandated vaccines as the sole accepted means of containing the virus is tied to this reason of its origins. But vaccines are not the only way to minimize the impact of COVID. It is a publicly curated lie to say so. There are proven effective ways to treat the illness and to prevent it from having long-term adverse effects. All six of my family members can testify to this fact as can the experience of millions of others. We treated it and lived through it. Millions of people have also done so. There are many physicians who have developed effective means of treating this disease and treating it early. Point six, consider this. It is generally a benchmark of medical care to treat serious viruses early before symptoms proliferate and hospitalization becomes required. But this is not the standard of care we are seeing with COVID. The standard medical line is do nothing, hydrate, take Tylenol and Motrin, and wait for your symptoms to resolve or intensify. Come to the hospital if you develop difficulty breathing. My own physician, a leading physician in Cincinnati, gave me just such bad advice. I opted instead to follow the medical counsel that has been developed elsewhere towards early non-hospital-based treatment of COVID. This protocol has best been championed by Dr. Peter McCullough, among others. Surveying both options, the mainstream option and the options uh, championed by McCullough, I'm left with the question, why are we not as a nation focused on treating COVID symptoms early before they progress? Point seven, the fact is Early COVID treatment protocols and medicines have been suppressed in the media and the medical establishment. Consider that China's own national protocols developed as early as February 2020 identified hydroxychloroquine as an effective remedy or treatment of early COVID. 
India also demonstrated that ivermectin is effective in the treatment of early COVID symptoms. Then there are monoclonal antibodies, proper dosing of vitamins C, zinc, and D. These are all also extremely effective. But this effectiveness is being drowned out, this therapeutic story suppressed by our mainstream medical, media, and governmental voices. I ask, why? I question, why? Point eight, the answer is not hard to fetch. By suppressing the effectiveness of early treatment of COVID, an atmosphere is created where the vaccines emerge as the singular and best response to the virus. But they are not. Vaccines are not the only response. And the suppression of early treatment protocols should cause any attentive observer to wonder. Point nine, consider further that the release of the vaccines was held until after the 2020 U.S. elections. This timed release provided the incoming Democratic administration with the vaccines as a buttress to its authority and a growing tool of control. This suggests a concerning layer of governmental involvement that echoes the governmental involvement in the creation of the virus. It also suggests a big pharma government alliance that is concerning. Point 10. It is, for various reasons, evident that government, big tech, media, pharmaceutical companies, and large corporations, which I will call the big five, are all aligned in the objective of using vaccines to counter the risk of COVID infection. The reasons are not clear, but one sees that large populations of people consider Australia, Austria, Ireland, Germany, and now France, consider the U.S. military and now New York City. These populations are being coerced towards forced compliance in matters of personal health mandated to have experimental vaccines injected and now boosted when the risk-benefit profiles of these vaccines have not persuaded a substantial majority. You must recall that these vaccines are experimental. They have not been FDA-approved, a point I will discuss a little later. Point 11. While the Big Five push these experimental vaccines, over 140 studies have shown that natural immunity to COVID imparts greater protection against the disease than vaccination does. To the tune of a 6 to 13% decreased risk of hospitalization and a 20 to 27% decreased risk of general effect infection. This includes the well-known Israeli study of a pool of 2.5 million people. It has also been shown that those who have acquired natural immunity are at a two to four-fold risk of complications should they subsequently receive a COVID vaccine. Point 12. In addition, there are several risk areas related to the vaccines that are being suppressed in mainstream medicine in the media and in social media. According to VAERS, vaccine-correlated deaths stand at approximately 19,000. Myocarditis among young males is present at alarming levels, and menstrual anomalies are prominent among girls, all closely correlated with vaccinations. All these risks have been tight-lipped, closely guarded, and suppressed in the mainstream. Point 13. As a further point, not even seen yet, the administration of repeated boosters every six months poses the unknown harmful risk of maintaining in the body concentrated doses of the COVID spike protein which is delivered to the body through the vaccines. 
We don't yet know what kind of impact this will have on individuals. We haven't studied it yet. Point 14. In all of this, there is one simple truth ever evident in bioethics. Never promote an experimental vaccine without presenting the risks as well as the benefits. But we cannot argue that this process of full education of risks has been occurring in our culture. These vaccines have not received sufficient public debate to allow for the fully informed consent of those who receive them. They are experimental vaccines. None of them have been FDA approved. Again, this is a point I'll discuss just later. In such a case, informed consent and open public discussion are necessary, but this process has not occurred. It has not been allowed to occur. Point 15. Those unconvinced by the risk-benefit profile of the vaccines can observe instead the growth of governmental and corporate control over this discussion. Indeed, we are observing public censorship of ideas of deep consequence to human health, our own health, and that of our children. This is a cause of great concern. It is reasonable to be concerned about this. Point 16. To recap, there is an evident alliance of government, big tech, pharma, media, and big corporations, the big five, that seeks to amplify the threat of the virus, particularly toward people in the population not threatened in any meaningful way by it, while simultaneously silencing the effectiveness of other ways of treating the virus, such as the early treatment protocols I have discussed. Point 17. This Big Five Alliance seeks to downplay the many instances of harm caused by the virus. 19,000 deaths currently reported in VAERS, 13,000 cases of myocarditis, to name just two stats. The Big Five overlook the minimal need of children for protection against this virus, and they are increasingly silencing reasonable and peaceful opposition, both scientific and philosophical, to the mandatory policies of COVID vaccinations. Witness the recent banning of Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA technology which underpins these vaccines. Why was he banned from Twitter? There is something amiss here. He was banned for articulating uh, statements that went against the mainstream narrative. Point 18. It is evident that prior to announcing their mandate, the Biden administration used sleight of hand to make people think that all vaccines have been FDA approved, when in fact, none of the available U.S. vaccines have been so approved. Of all the vaccines, only a future version of the Pfizer vaccine, known as Comirnaty, received FDA approval. But this Comirnaty vaccine is not available in the U.S. market yet, so its apparent approval is actually misleading. People have thus been given to understand that all vaccines have been FDA approved, but the reality is none of the available vaccines have been FDA approved. They are, I repeat, experimental, and yet they are being foisted upon our population in a manner that includes a fully informed choice. Point 19. Also, is it not odd that the conventional Big Five narrative is take a vaccine, any vaccine? Would it not be prudent to be more specific about which vaccine is most effective and which one bears greater risks? Point 20. Thus, in general, we have the evident situation of a string of vaccines offered by pharmaceutical companies with no meaningful liability, without extensive long-term studies as to the hidden health impacts of these vaccines, 
toward the protection against a virus from which over 99% of patients recover. And we can see that these vaccines do not prevent people from contracting COVID or passing it. This is true while simultaneously a major profit incentive drives the same pharmaceutical companies to provide these vaccines and to boost them. There is also a clear power incentive that drives the governments to enforce the vaccinations. Point 21, it does not strain credulity to think the big pharma companies might be engaged in some kind of pay-to-play scheme with their big five alliance partners. Witness the uh, studies which have revealed how much uh, big pharma uh, supports uh, mainstream media and their sponsorships, their, their commercials and things like that. Little attention is paid to this obvious possibility of conflict of interest. How lacking in journalistic curiosity are our mainstream writers as to what may be transpiring under the surface? Point 22. These evident facts suggest a strong agenda that could reasonably cause an observer to pause. To sum it up, we can see evidence of the government-funded laboratory origin of this COVID virus. We see evidence which has been covered up by key government, government, media, and pharma players. Evidence of forced global control through mandated masks, lockdowns, and mandated vaccines as to our health response to this virus. Evidence with the mandated vaccines of a path which is leading with growing momentum toward a global health passport system already seen in some countries. This digital health passport will become a very powerful tool of the big five to control individual citizens. The digital health passport would be a tool to consolidate an astonishing amount of power over citizens. This scenario is far too similar to the methods of author authoritarian control we can see in the Chinese government today. We should be concerned about this. Point 23. As an aside, Many efforts have been made to suggest that it is a Christian act to comply with mandatory vaccinations, an act of love. I argue to the contrary that the heart of the Big Five Alliance's COVID agenda stands diametrically opposed to a genuine Christian attitude to a potentially harmful virus. I hold that a genuine Christian attitude would be characterized by an unwillingness to have major global responses governed by fear. An absence of the fear of illness and death, which is currently so theatrically manipulated by big media again and again. A Christian attitude would be open to all scientific means of minimizing harm and promoting health, not just a singular, regime-approved approach favored by those in governmental, pharmaceutical, and corporate control. The Christian attitude would be opposed to state and corporate means of assuming tremendous power over individual human lives and consciences. It would honor the genuine personal dictates of individual human conscience in a matter of such complexity and uncertainty. The Christian attitude would also be opposed to the use of cells derived from abortion in the development of vaccines. These are just a few of the attributes of a Christian response to the Big Five agenda that deserve to be respected. Final point, number 24. In light of all these evident truths, my personal stance is marked by some degree of uncertainty. 
I'm just a citizen, a husband, a dad, and a small business owner. This is a complex and difficult matter. However, I can draw these seven conclusions. Number one, I stand firmly opposed to a mandatory governmental, corporate, and cultural policy of COVID vaccinations and the global digital health passport that may be looming in the wings. Number two, I stand in favor of people who are not at great risk from this virus being free to use their considered judgment to pursue other means of contract of avoiding contracting the virus and addressing the effects of the virus should they contract it. Number three, I stand opposed to government, tech, big pharma, media, and big corporations, the big five, aligning to mandate matters of personal health when the data underlying those mandates are still subject to conscientious debate by reasonable and peaceful people. Number four, I stand opposed to the erection of massive centers of power in people's lives, the Big Five Alliance, when there can be perceived to be clear conflicts of interest in the form of the accumulation of power and profit in the hands of those who are advancing the vaccine mandates, especially when those who would garner this power have not demonstrated a genuine interest in the deep common good of each person. Number five, I stand with the citizens of every country and city to begin with, Austria, Australia, France, Germany, and Ireland, with those in New York City, with members of the U.S. military, Navy SEALs, colleges, and healthcare facilities, all individuals who wish to object to the imposition of these vaccine mandates upon individual citizens or soldiers or teachers or healthcare workers. Number six, I stand convinced that in a healthy society, my views would be considered reasonable and worthy of respect. And finally, here I stand. I'll accept the consequences of this stand. I will not be ashamed of it, nor will I be afraid.